we're in a section of Matthew that I consider holy ground, like I want to take off my shoes when I read it. It's Matthew 26, 27, and 28, just a brilliant section. This Wednesday, we'll be getting into Matthew 26, so we're going to grab a little bit out of Matthew 26 to look at it. But I want to back up for a minute and kind of give you a little of what we've seen so far. So yeah, Wednesday, we'll jump into the change, the holy ground, but there's been some preparation. So if you've been with us on Wednesday or some Sundays, here's what you've seen. Jesus has been a rock, like unflappable. We don't have any food. No problem. I'll make some food. Hey, we've got this storm. No problem, right? He goes to dinner with people that want to kill him. No problem. He gets interrogated by the top leaders of Israel. No problem. I can take them. He's stuck on the side of a lake without a boat. No problem. I'll just walk across. So Jesus has been just unflappable, just the rock. And with that in mind, would you turn to Matthew 26? And let me read a section for you. It's by far the most intriguing, one of my personal favorite sections of the Bible. And hopefully it will be yours too. Matthew 26 beginning in verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, Not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer, is at hand. Is that the rock Jesus that we're used to? No. Something's changed here, right? He says, verse 38, my soul is sorrowful even to death. This reminds me like perhaps this happened to you 
as a kid, the first time you see your parents cry. Can you remember that? I can remember the very first time I saw my mom cry. And I thought, you can't cry. Who's gonna take care of you? More importantly, who will take care of me if you're crying? Right? It's like that. It's like, what? No. Jesus in the garden buckles. And to me, it's like, imagine the toughest man you know, him buckling. Clint Eastwood buckling. John Wayne buckling. James Bond buckling. Matt Heverly buckling. <laughs> it's like that. It's like, what? No way. And verse 37 through 39, I'll read them again because it's, it's crazy against the backdrop of what Matthew has been presenting in his gospel of Jesus. Listen to this. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, he said to them, his disciples who have watched him be a rock for three and a half years, he says to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here, watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face. Wow. Now, we don't use the word sorrowful very often, do we? When's the last time you've used that? I'm very sorrowful. You could just as easily translate this, I'm really depressed and I want to die. It's really easy to translate it that way. Jesus, the rock, I am super depressed to the point that I want, I want to die. The gospel according to Luke says that at this moment, so great was the crushing that he began to sweat great drops of blood. Literally, the blood vessels in his forehead burst and blood came out. That's how crushing this is. This is so unexpected to me. I don't expect the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. Here's what I expect. I expect kind of this brilliant death, right? Perhaps you know history. Here's what I would have expected. It's two guys, their names are Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley. You guys heard of those guys? Google them, they're brilliant. 16th century, they are burned at the stake because of the gospel. And as the flames are leaping up and people are watching, Hugh Latimer turns to Nicholas Ridley and this is what Hugh says. He says, be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and play the man. Today, we will light a fire by God's grace that shall never be put out in England. Yeah, play the man, okay? That's the story I expect. The Garden of Gethsemane, oh, I didn't expect that. So why? Why this other scene of Jesus? Why this so different presentation of him here in the garden of Gethsemane? Gethsemane literally means the olive press. Why? Jonathan Edwards was the first guy that kind of put this idea out there. He said, the reason is because Jesus knew exactly what lay before him. That the chasm 
that he was gonna descend into was opened up to him and he realized fully what was going to take place the following day. That he knew it, that he'd be a man more marred than any other man as Isaiah tells us. That he would be ripped and shredded apart. That it wasn't just six hours on a Friday afternoon or whatever day it happened to fall on. It wasn't six hours It was, as the Bible says, he was slain before the foundation of the world, cosmic and eternal crushing. And that anticipation, if you know this, anticipating what's gonna happen to you can be even worse than what actually happens to you, right? My classic example is of a dentist. A dentist, when he's going to give a shot of Novocaine to a little boy, what does the dentist do? Does he pull out the needle and say, look at little boy, three inches long and razor sharp. Here's what I'm going to do to you. I'm going to take this needle and I'm going to jab it into your cheek. Not one time. I'm going to pull it back out like a sewing machine and just jab it over and over and over and over and over and over. (laughs) Then I'm going to move to your other cheek. I'm going to repeat that. Are you ready? No. What does the dentist do? He comes in, the boy's like, what do you have, doc? Oh, do you have a dog? Yeah, well, what's your dog's name? Spot, okay, ah, right? Because anticipation can be actually worse than the actual event. So yeah, I can get Jonathan Edwards. I can see that side, but I'm not sure if that's just it. Like there's a phrase in here that that catches me. It's verse 39. It says, going a little further, he fell on his face. Why do you fall on your face? You're done. There's no strength left. It's like everything, it's like you're almost dead. That's what it is. You fall on your face when you're absolutely done. Here's what I think Matthew 26 presents to us. The Garden of Gethsemane unveils for us. We see in this text, Jesus, the man. We argue very often in Christian circles, not about the humanity of Jesus. We're constantly arguing about the divinity of Jesus, right? And that's good and that's right. But often what we end up with is this character of Jesus where he's something different than us. So we get the gold orb behind his face. And we begin to think Jesus never got sick. He was never sad. He was never depressed. He was always trusting the sovereign promises of his father. You believe that until you really study the garden, the garden. And you read this and you say, wow, wow. And the cross was not a surprise for Jesus, right? If you've been traveling with us, For about 15 chapters, Jesus has been telling his disciples, look, boys, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die on the cross. Look, boys, this is happening to me. When I get to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me. It's not a surprise. And yet here it is the day before and Jesus begins to say, I am depressed to the point of wanting to die. I would rather die than go through what I need to go through tomorrow. That's where Jesus is at. Here's why I love the Garden of Gethsemane. 
for years, my theology of Jesus was this. I thought Jesus was Clark Kent, right? Really, you know, in disguise, he's wearing the silly comb over glasses, the robe, but underneath the robe, if he was to pull that off, there'd be this giant S and he's really bulletproof and he does not bleed. That's the way most of my life I have viewed Jesus, kind of otherworldly, that he does not bleed, that when he was a baby, he didn't need to be potty trained, <laughs> that he was never bullied or he was never had the crushing of a girl that does not like him when he liked her, that, that he lived a different kind of life. His friends never ganged up on him. He was never worried about anything. He just kind of floated through life, aced every class without having to study. That's the way for much of my life I've seen Jesus. But what this little story tells us is the incarnation of God the Son was real. It was 100% real. Philippians 2 says this, that in the incarnation, God the Son took his divinity, and if you would, he put it in his pocket and never used it again. And he lived life on earth as an empowered human by the Holy Spirit. That's what this story tells me. And it's brilliant. If you look at Jesus, he never used his power for a selfish miracle. Do you know that? And he was tempted to. 40 days without food, Satan comes. Look at those rocks. They look like little loaves of bread. I know you're hungry. Turn one into a loaf of bread and eat it. And Jesus refuses to do that. He never uses the God power to do what he wants to do. You ever want to use God's power to do what you want to do? Oh, totally, right? Like Elijah, call down fire from heaven. Be awesome, like to call down fire from heaven on your neighbor's marijuana grow right about now. Boom, <laughs> problem solved. Just stay inside when it's burning. Right? We all want to do that. Jesus did not do that. Jesus didn't do it. And this week, I just read this book and it's 21 major pastors answering this one question. It's, why doesn't God answer prayers? Why does it seem like we pray and God does not answer them? And it was across the spectrum of kind of pastors, right? So Bill Johnson, pastor of Bethel, down in Reading, one of the guys, a, a seminary professor, Baptist, conservative, pastor answered as well. So you just had the, the gamut of answers. It was a pretty interesting book. Here's what fascinated me. Nobody, nobody talked about Jesus. Nobody went to this story because it says Jesus prayed three times. What did he pray for? No cross, no cross, no cross, no cross. And what happens to him the next day? The cross, <laughs> right? The son, God, the son incarnate pleads with the father, please, no cross. And what happens to him? The cross. You ever pleaded with the father about something? Oh, heal my mom. Oh, protect my daughter. Oh, save my son. You ever pleaded with the father about something and then not have an answer? <laughs> Happened happened to Jesus, same thing. 
Now, I love the Old Testament, and you guys know that. And we're gonna see in chapter 27, there's like these prophecies that are just unbelievable about the cross. Psalm 22, read it. (laughs) It's unbelievable. Before crucifixion was ever invented, you have this prophetic picture of what crucifixion is. Jesus actually quotes the beginning of Psalm 22 in Matthew 27. You have Isaiah 53, just unbelievable. The suffering servant songs of Isaiah, unbelievable. There's all this prediction about the cross, but you know what? Nowhere in the Old Testament does it predict the Garden of Gethsemane. This one's a surprise. Jesus was full of surprises, washing his disciples' feet, walking on water, hanging out with the wrong people. He's always hanging out with the wrong people, right? Prostitutes and drunkards, they got mad at him. Good religious people don't hang out with prostitutes and sinners. What are you doing, Jesus? His answer was, I did not come to save the well. I came for the sick. Those are the people I'm after. I'm chasing them down so that they become a new humanity, right? But Jesus pleads with the father in the garden. Father, please, no. And the answer is no. Can you imagine that? Dads, ever had your kids ask you to do something? I mean, what does that do to you? A couple years ago, Gabrielle, she's now 11. She was about six or seven at the time. She said, dad, could you please build me a crib that rocks? I'm not talking Led Zeppelin rock. I'm talking like move back and forth. Can you please build me a crib that rocks? And then she said this right after that, dad, I know you can. You can work miracles. (laughs) Right? You just are like, yeah, I will throw down for that. Those words are responsible for 72% of all emergency room visits right there. (laughs) I know you can. Oh yeah, I will then. The father heard the agony of the son and said, no. How crazy is that? Hebrews 5, 7 says this, that Jesus, speaking of this, Jesus cried with tears and supplications to the one who could save his soul from death. And God heard the agony of the son and the cross still came. It's in this chapter that you begin to see the humanity of Jesus Christ. I used to think Jesus is Superman in disguise. Now I realize, no, Jesus, Jesus put that divine privilege, Philippians chapter two, in his back pocket and he lived life as a real human just like you, just like me. And Hebrews 2.17 says that he was made like us in every respect so that he could be our faithful and merciful high priest. All right, great, Matt. What does that mean for me? Big deal. Here's why. Here's how it's changed me. I now... Read and study the life of Jesus. Not thinking he's Superman, I could never do that. I read and study the life of Jesus in this way. I read and study and say, this is what I'm going to become. And so today I wanna start living like it. John begins his gospel by saying this, John 1, 4, in him, in Jesus was life. And that life was the light to all men. 
that is the life of Jesus. That's my lighthouse. That's where I'm headed for. It's the life of Jesus. That's my true north. That's what I want to be like. That's what one day I will be like. And so I'm going to head that direction. I'm going to look that direction. Okay, still, I'm out. So what? Okay, let me bring it down real simple. You ever had verse 28, verse 38 rather? Your soul, has it ever been sorrowful to the very point of wanting to die? You ever fell on your face? I have. 10.32 p.m., May 28th. 2006. My legs buckled. I fell on my face because of events that were happening around me. You ever been there? Well, what do you do? Well, you look at the life of Jesus. What did Jesus do? If he's my light, if he's my lighthouse, if he's where I'm heading, then I start saying, I want to study Jesus's life because it was lived right. So what did Jesus do when he despaired of life? Number one, what do you do? He got three buddies right? That's the very first thing he does. This is the only time Jesus ever asks someone else to pray with him. Only time. I'm so sorrowful. This thing is so crushing. I need my three buddies and we're going to go and we're going to pray. It's the opposite of what we do, isn't it? When we get sorrowful to the point of death, what do we normally do? We disconnect and hide. Jesus doesn't. Come here, guys. Come with me. I need you to be with me. I need you to pray with me. And and look, they weren't even very good at praying, were they? They fell asleep, (laughs) right? You ever fell asleep praying? Okay, if you say no, you're lying or you've never prayed because everybody does, right? Your buddies don't have to be good at praying. Just, hey, come with me, be with me. Now, why does Jesus have three buddies that will go and pray with him? Three and a half years, he has invested in these men, loved these men, walked with these men, and when he needs them, they're there. If you are despairing to the point of death, are there three people that you could call that would immediately show up with you and pray with you? Because if we're not investing into that kind of relationship, then you won't have it. It takes investment. It takes time. And I'll warn you men, Here's what every study tells us. The older men get, the fewer friends we have. Have you noticed that in your life? It's the natural progression of men. Women are very different. Women, in fact, network very well. I don't need a study to even show this. I've got five kids, three girls and two boys, and they are night and day. My little girls, when my girls were little, I would come home from work and it was immediate networking with me. Dad, sit down, have some tea. Let's play with my dolls. Let's do this. It was immediately. I remember Elijah, when he was like three or four, I'd come home from work. I'd be like, hey, bud, you want to go play? He'd be like, if I have to. (laughs) And I was going to get a stick and go outside and like shoot the bad guys. But if I have to play with you, all right, let's do it. I'm like, dude, you are so different. (laughs) Men, you know this. You have to fight that tendency. And like Jesus, invest in people. Invest in them. We're moving inside um, this Wednesday, obviously, then Sunday. We're going to have a push in the next six weeks or so in community groups. There's a good place to start. Because there will come for each of us a Gethsemane, where you'll be pressed. And Jesus, our light, the first thing he does is he grabs three buddies. Number two, he got alone with his dad and talked. Dad, I don't want to do this. 
dad, is there some other way, right? He got alone with his dad and talked. Isaiah 40, 31 says this. I've been thinking about this verse a lot. It says, they that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like an eagle. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. Who gets all that stuff? Vision like an eagle, strength, who gets it? Those that wait on the Lord. I don't think there's gonna be a more difficult thing for Americans today because we don't wait anymore. We are the world of instant gratification. Wednesday, I was sharing with the crew on this verse. And I said, I just look at books, how I used to get books. 11 years ago, as I started as a pastor, if I wanted a book, and they're usually kind of esoteric, so people don't stock them, I'd have to order it, wait 10 days, 14 days, and then get it and read it. And then there was this major move where Amazon Prime Prime first came out and it was overnight delivery. So then I could get a book. The next day I'd be like waiting for FedEx. Come on. Now with the Kindle, it's one minute. And sometimes that feels too long. Like, come on. (laughs) Nick, you got all day? Hurry up already. Oh, it's gonna be hard to wait. And yet the Bible says, it's those that weigh in the Lord, like Jesus, that have their strength renewed. There's no weariness to them. They don't faint because of life. We gotta do that. I think this is the best we do nowadays. We'll be like, okay, I'll wait on the Lord. So Lord, I'm gonna pray about this and I'll give you till Monday at noon and then I'm gonna take over. All right, I just gotta take over. Something's gotta be done. The example in the New Testament of patient waiting. You know who it is? Abraham. You know how long he waited? 25 years. That's the example. There was that wait. Jesus got some buddies. Help me. Be with me. Number two, he went alone with his dad and talked. And number three, he obeyed. Not my will, but that will be done. Not my will. The father's will is done. Does that sound familiar? It should. Because Jesus, three and a half years before this, had grabbed his disciples and said, here's how you're supposed to pray. My father, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your... What's he doing right here? He's praying his prayer. Here's my prayer. I'm praying to you, Jesus. I'm praying to you, Father, that your will be done. He does those three things. And then what happens? Look at verse 45. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. Get up. (laughs) See, the hour is at hand. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Who's back? The rock. The rock's back. His strength has been renewed. His confidence is back. He's restored. He's filled with power, just like you and I can be filled with power. That we can do all things through Christ, which strengthens us. Jesus, the rock, is back right here. I love that. The Jesus life that we're called to is not pie in the sky. Oh, we can never do that. The Jesus life that we're called to is that we know what we will be. And this day we start walking that way after our lighthouse. That's what it's supposed to be. The Bible says this, our destiny 
Romans 8.29, is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Well, does that mean it's wait until heaven? No, because 2 Corinthians 3.18 puts it like this. It says that if we, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, we are transformed metamorphosized in the Greek. We are transformed into that same image from glory to glory by the power of the Lord's spirit. It's not out there. We're waiting for it to happen. It's each day we can, as we behold Jesus, look at his story, think about his story. We are step by step being transformed and conformed into his image. That's why I love this story. Do you behold Jesus? Are you beholding him? How do I behold him? I think maybe it's like this. Here's the illustration I got on it once. It's a difference between how men and women use a mirror. Yeah, there's a difference. Men glance, women behold. Do they not? Okay, ladies, I'll take you through the mirrors. I've got four ladies in my house. I don't get a mirror anymore. Here's what happens with my ladies in my house and mirrors. There's mirror number one, and it's the mirror inside the bathroom, and it's walk in and survey what eight hours of sleep has done to you. Hmm, hmm. Then mirror number two is a little round vanity mirror because you got to look at the back. So then it's the 360 degree view all the way around. That takes about 45 minutes. Then after that is mirror number three, which is the full length mirror, right? Where you have to look at the entire presentation down to the shoe. I'll tell you, I've never looked at my shoes in the mirror. Do you know why? There it is. I don't need to. All right? So once that's all done, then somehow I get them all into the car. We get in the car. Then we get mirrors four and five. It's the visor mirror, huh? And then it's my rear view mirror. Doesn't care that our safety is in jeopardy. I need that mirror. I got to get stereo here, right? Then it's jump out of the car. And then there's mirror number six, which is the pocket purse mirror. Just in case one of those hairs came back in my eyebrow, right? Men don't do that. Men don't carry pocket mirrors. If they do, they need to repent. All right? Plain and simple. That's how we're supposed to behold Jesus. That our life, if we really want to say Jesus lived it right, he is life. His life is the light for me. Then what I should be doing is I should be immersing myself in his story. Immersing myself in this, beholding him so that God's spirit takes that kindling and ignites something in me and transforms me. That's why I love Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane because it transformed the way I see Jesus. He's not Superman in a Clark Kent outfit. He became a man just like you and me, Hebrews 2.17, made like me in every respect. He lived life genuinely as a human. Yes, 100% God. Yes, 100% man. Never losing his divinity. He just said, I'm not going to use that because my life is going to be a light for Matt Heverly, for Edgewater Christian Fellowship, for the world, so that they know how to walk out everything 
and I've walked out. It's brilliant. Edgewater, this week, behold Jesus. You will not regret it. This week, study his life. Immerse yourself in him and allow God's spirit to take that kindling and transform you and set you on fire for him. Amen? If you're here this morning and you're saying, you know what? I think I'm right now in verse 38. There's been events in my life that are overwhelming me. I'm sorrowful. I'm I'm to the point of suicidal. How encouraging is it to know that even Jesus (laughs) went through that? We have this stigma with depression, but you know what? Moses was depressed to the point of death. Elijah was depressed to the point of death. Paul despaired into death, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Jesus says, I'm so down right now. Death is preferable. If that's you, we'd love to pray for you. Or if there's anything you need to pray for, every Sunday outside, we pray right over here. Come and get some buddies around you. Have hands laid on you. Be prayed for. We each need that. That was step one for Jesus. Step one, do that. Step one and two, okay? If you're here and you're saying, you know what? I need to identify as part of Jesus's body. We do what we do every Sunday outside. We do baptisms. We do them low pressure. I believe it is God's spirit that draws individuals to his son. So if you wanna be baptized, this is here. It's warm, which is nice today. We'd love to baptize you, pray for you, and see your life immersed into Jesus Christ's life, and you begin to be conformed to his image. So we offer both of those things to you. If not, if you're doing well, be thankful, because God is good. And so, Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your son. Yes, God, 100%. And yet, clothed himself in frail humanity. Great is that mystery walked out humanity in a way that's brilliant and beautiful, never sidestepping all the things that we go through. Betrayal, pain, agony, depression, worry, trouble. He didn't sidestep it. He walked through it to give me light. So when I'm in my valley, in the shadow of death, I can have that same beacon that guides me on. And so I pray that Edgewater, we would be a church that beholds Jesus. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.